take your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. Now, we're wrapping up a series this morning called The Throne of Lies. And we're dealing with different lies that creep into the church, creep into the psyche of a believer. And we need to kick those out. And what happens is when lies aren't dealt with, for many of us, they become truths. They become dogma. They become core values. And we really miss the entirety of the gospel when these happen. Now, before we get rolling, I want to go ahead and uh, give you your assignment this week, okay? Uh, I want to encourage you to do the Bible reading plan called Choose Joy by a lady named Kay Warren. Uh, this is going to supplement what we talk about this morning. So choose joybible.com or go on your Bible app uh, that you can download for free. We'll throw that up on the screen in just a moment. So this morning, as we walk through this last lie, I want to overview what we've talked about so far. Sound good? There are several lies that unfortunately for many believers have become core beliefs. And we've tried to kick these out. And what happens is... We bind these lies, and they become so indoctrinated into our brain cells and even our own spirituality that we lose our fervor for the Lord, or we become very angry and really fall into a position to where we expect the wrong things from the Lord. So a couple of lies we've talked about so far. We started out with the lie that God wants us to be wealthy, and it's that whole mindset is that I deserve, I think he should, that if God loves me, I should have x amount of provision in my bank account and that doesn't happen to most people right not wrong to have wealth it's wrong to idolize it and you can idolize wealth whether you have nothing or have everything agreed but the thing is provision is from the lord and we're to manage that in an appropriate way the second lie we dealt with is that god wants me to be great have you ever heard the phrase god has a great plan for your life or God wants you, or God is calling you, or God has something that you're going to be very successful at. And we've based our whole identity around how great we can become. When in reality, greatness needs to be defined in this way. Choose to be a great husband. Choose to be a great wife. Choose to be a great parent. Choose to be a great employee. Do the things that are ordinary in a great way. Make sense? Our whole whole sustenance in this idea is that if I'm not popular or I'm not doing something profound or if I'm not an influencer in a certain way then I must not be living for the Lord and that's just not accurate the other lie we dealt with was this it's the lie that says God wants me to speak in power what do we mean by that because there was that's a difficult one to describe because we do pray in Jesus name the reason we pray in Jesus name is because he gives us access to the father right we come to him and say in the name of Jesus I am free but the thing is, when we use that idea of saying, if I have no money in my billfold and say, in the name of Jesus, fill it up, that's wrong. Make sense? Next lie. A lot of lies we believe in, right, guys? God doesn't want me to suffer. God doesn't want me to suffer. That was a tough one, right? The better way to see it is that God suffers with us. And that through this suffering, he's making us more like him. Then finally, it was the lie of this. God wants me to be happy. No, God wants you to be joyful. Joy is in the Lord. Happiness is circumstantial. Make sense? Now, last week, we were supposed to finish that series. That was supposed to be over with. But um, as usual, God has different plans for us. And I want to tell you a couple of struggles that I had as we're preparing for this message today. 
first of all, I was really conflicted about what to talk about this week. Uh, normally, I plan my sermon series six months ahead of time. We're getting ready. We're planning. We're going to start a new series next week called Dealing with Doubt and Proving God's Existence in Different Parts of Our Lives. I'm really excited. That's my wheelhouse. So I was conflicted about what to talk about, and as we start this new series, I was thinking school's about to start back. People are kind of getting their last whiff of summer. They're starting back in routine. Do we need to talk about stress? Do we need to talk about how to have a gospel-centered school year? What do we need to deal with? So I was conflicted about that, but then at the same time, um, back in June, our elders gave me a sabbatical, and over that four weeks of praying, recuperating, resting, listening to the Lord, all of us with me watched in horror as we saw what happened out in Texas in the school shootings, right? And one of the things that kept popping up, and it's been on my heart for a decade now, is the idea of mental illness and what that is. And how is the church to address it? This is a big deal. And so what we're going to deal with this morning is basically, and this is the lie, Christians can't be mentally ill. It's the lie that says you should have some type of shame or guilt that goes wrong with your depression or anxiety, that it's your fault. Because the whole premise of this is this. Now think through this. This is our illustration we use every week. It's the whole Butler syndrome. We've talked about this. Before you became a Christian, we wanted to be happy. We wanted wealth. We don't want to suffer. We want to be great. We want to have influence, right? Once you become a Christian, the Bible says our desires change. But here's the deal. Because we still live in this world, we expect Jesus to become that butler. Bring me my provision. Bring me my happiness. Bring me my health. Bring me my wealth. Bring my, my, my victorious living. Bring me all this stuff. In tandem with that, if we have all that stuff, and the lie is if we're faithful, then we won't struggle with things like anxiety. We won't struggle with things like grief. We won't struggle with things like schizophrenia. We won't have those issues. But here's what truth is. We live in a fallen world, and we're going to struggle with things. The mind is a terrible playground at times, right? It's one thing to have a heart attack. You can diagnose it. It's another thing to have diabetes. You can figure out what it is. But when we're dealing with the things that are between these two ears, that's the hard stuff, right? That's the difficult stuff. And when we don't understand it, and here's what the church has done for generations, we tend to demonize it. Or we say something like, well, that's demon possession. Or we say something even more stupid, well, they just don't have enough faith. Charles Spurgeon, one of my spiritual heroes, was a pastor in the 19th century, and he has a great quote. Take a picture of this if you can. This is amazing. We'll have this uh, on our replay, but he said this the mind can descend I love this far lower than the body for in it there are bottomless pits the flesh can bear only a certain number of wounds and no more but the soul can bleed in 10,000 ways and die over and over again every hour does that resonate with you? I mean it's one thing to go through a physical problem but the mind never stops. And in my own life, I equate it to that hamster on the wheel, right? It just keeps spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning until finally it's destroyed. So I want, to, I want us to walk through this this morning. And here's how we're going to do it. 
we're going to deal with some principles about what the church is to do at the end okay and that's going to be our text in Luke chapter 7 but under this lie there are a lot of sub lies make sense smaller lies that we need to destroy as Christians because I'm willing to bet that many of us in this room and engaging us online struggle with a lot of these lies that we've even heard from pulpits before and I don't think they're intentional they're misinformed make sense and so as we creep into scripture that's always our foundation I want, to, I want us to build a really good ministry or a good perspective about what mental illness is and how we're to deal with it as a church and maybe some lies you believed in your past and the things that you struggle with even currently according to the National Institute of Mental Health one in five Americans struggles with mental illness According to the World Health Organization, one in four people worldwide struggle with some form of mental illness. And the thing is, we define mental illness, really, the thing that we go to is the worst, whether it be multiple personality disorder or whether it be uh, some type of issue to where you see somebody completely losing it. You've heard that phrase before. But let me kind of give you a better definition. Are y'all ready for this? What is mental illness? Mental illness is a why, I'm going to try to read this, and we're going to go into this even deeper with a trauma therapist tomorrow on my podcast, so please check this out. Mental illness is a wide range of conditions. It changes our behaviors, our moods, and our thinking. You ever fit into those things before? Everybody say yes, you've had that happen, right? <laughs> it's a wide range of conditions. It changes our behaviors, our moods, and our thinking. So let me give you a couple of mental illnesses you might not have thought about before. Depression. Anxiety, trauma responses, schizophrenia. Here's one that I took a test on and passed. Are y'all ready? ADHD. Yes, I took the test and passed that one. I know that shocked some of you. <laughs> In fact, I, I resonate with several. And honestly, my wife being a my wife is a therapist. I'd always make the joke that uh and I'm really, I'm going to be honest with you guys, I'm so intimidated talking about this this morning because we have a lot of counselors and therapists that go to church here. My wife being a therapist, I always make the joke, it was easier, it was cheaper to get married than to continue to pay to see her. Uh, and uh, <laughs> she doesn't like that joke. Uh, I don't know why. Uh, but, uh, you know, this is something near and dear to my heart. River Hills Church, in collaboration with other people, helped start the Ministry Village, where we have, I think, nine therapists on staff now to be able to give people mental health treatment that they need in order to walk through some things. And I really believe this, guys. As somebody who stayed in therapy, in Christian therapy, counseling for two and a half years, uh, it's important to walk through life with someone that you can just do it anonymously, and you can do it in such a way to where you can just pour everything out at, at their feet and leave and begin to work through some things from your past. So you got to understand some of these things that, you know, whether it be a bipolar disorder, whether it be a trauma response from your past, whether it be separation anxiety, whether it be anxiety that you deal with daily or depression you've dealt with for months, it's okay to label that as a mental illness just like you would label a common cold as an illness, right? Think about it that way. Doesn't mean you're less than. Doesn't mean you've done something wrong. For me... And I'll tell you a little bit about my story in a little while. It was physical, but it was also things that I dealt with in my past and continue to struggle with. But Scripture isn't silent about this. There are several people, if we look at Scripture as a whole, who struggle with some form of mental illness. Think of it this way. King David 
the guy that was known as God, after God's own heart, after going through the trauma of losing his sons and losing his kingdom, he wrote this in Psalm chapter 6, verses 6 through 7. Notice what happens here on the screen. He says, I am worn out. Get this. I am worn out from my grieving. Y'all ever been there before? Yeah, everybody, I mean, some of us have, right? Just undone. I am worn out from my grieving all night long. I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak in sorrow. They fail because of all of my foes. That would be depression. That would be trauma. That's grief. Elijah, the prophet chosen by God to express God's word to the people of Israel after he's being pursued in the desert by his enemies, sits down under a tree and wishes to die he, he is suicidal notice this in first kings chapter 19 verse 4 he says this while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness he came to a broom bush sat down under it and prayed that he might what die he said i've had enough lord y'all been there before y'all said that before in your own brain i'm done lord i've had it take my life i'm no better than my ancestors as Jesus was ministering to the people of Israel, I want you to understand this. Mary and Martha, Mary, one sister, sat at the feet of Christ. Martha was in the kitchen working her tail off. And notice how Jesus responds to her. He says this in Luke chapter 10, verse 40. Martha, but Martha was distracted at the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And then Jesus responded, I love this, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. Have y'all been there before? Everybody say yes, right? You've been to Walmart. <laughs> Martha, Martha, but a few things are needed. There are some nights I lay in bed and my mind races right and, and so we need to understand some things about what it says so here's the deal when you struggle with something like this you typically have and I promise I'm gonna get to scripture I'm a bible guy I'm a Jesus guy we're gonna get there I promise and we're gonna tear Luke chapter 7 apart and we'll make sure I have plenty of time for the end because it's gonna be the best part I think because I'm not gonna be doing the talking but here's there's several things that are unbiblical in our responses to mental illness if you struggle with it one is to keep it quiet and just suck it up y'all had that problem man I remember my coaches in high school you'd hurt yourself and they said just put some dirt on it and you'll be fine and that's kind of how we deal with things of the brain you just suck it up which makes it worse another one is shame we're so ashamed that we're dealing with this hey and y'all been there before I'm so ashamed that I'm dealing with this you know, I laugh about my ADHD. But sometimes, man, especially, and I didn't know what it was, but sometimes when I was growing up, it's like, you know, why can't I get, I have to read the same page over and over and over. And y'all ever done that before? Over and over and over again and still don't know what it said. People come up to me, it even happened yesterday. Hey, man, I appreciate that talk we had. I'm like, I don't really know what you're talking about. <laughs> and it's not personal. <laughs> I took that test and passed. <laughs> Here's another unbiblical response. I did something wrong. And because I did something wrong or didn't have enough faith, I'm being punished. 
another unbiblical response therapy is for the weak I'm going to speak to you men on this because 75% of people that go to therapy are women that's not weak that's strength weakness that's strength when you can sit in front of somebody and say I screwed up I'll tell you the strongest strongest time my dad my hero and one of the strongest moments I've ever seen him and I'm going to go into the details that I've ever seen him do it showed his strength greater than anything else is he went to somebody in front of his children and said he was wrong that's strength guys I'm less than you ever deal with that one is you play the comparison game and you look around and you see people and you're like I'm just not good enough hopelessness you don't think you're ever going to be able to stop this these are all the things that we deal with that's unbiblical here's one more I want to deal with it finds itself woven into some Christian camps and it doesn't mean they don't love Jesus again they don't understand okay <clears throat> medication is unbiblical guys I'll be honest with you the brain is a physical thing so if we are willing to and there's, there's a place where you're over medicated I get that However, I'm going to take medicine for my high blood pressure. I can also take medicine to kind of calm me down to work through the process of my anxiety. Y'all with me on this? I need to see a physician who specializes in that, I think, but understand that. So the lies, if we have enough faith, it will go away or it should never happen. Scripture says a different story. Psalm chapter 25, verse 16. Get this. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and what? Afflicted. It's a psalmist crying out to the Lord. Another one is Psalm 42, verse 5. You see this all through Psalms. When I'm feeling low, I go to the Psalms a lot of times. It says, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Y'all been there? Another one, Psalm 88, verse 3. Get this one. I am overwhelmed with troubles and my life draws near to death. Some of you feel this way because there is a five-page list of things you got to buy for your kids for the start back to school, right? And I love this one. We dealt with this last week. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. Get this one. Paul was writing this. This is the apostle. This is the guy that wrote the book of Romans through the book of Philemon. I think it's 13 books of the Bible. And he says, because of these unsurpassingly great resolutions, therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was giving a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded to the Lord to take it away from me. But he said, my grace is what? Sufficient for you. Look, I have pleaded, God, take away the anxiety. God, take away the anxiety. God, take, it ain't gone away. But God's grace is sufficient because my hope is not on physical or mental healing here. It's in the hope for eternity there where everything's going to be perfect. Doesn't mean you don't cope. Doesn't mean you don't get better. Doesn't mean you don't exercise. Doesn't mean any of those things. It means you move through it that God is going to be there. My grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Now, 
So let me give you a couple of things that you need to know. Then we're going to jump into the text. With this church and the Millennials as a whole, there's some things you need to know if you struggle with this, which is one in four of you, probably more than that, I would think. I think there's way more than that. Um, number one, you're not alone. You need to get that. You're not alone. Not only do many people struggle with this, our church is here for you. So principle number one you need to get if you struggle with something, you are not alone. One of them, I, I thought I was so alone with some of this stuff. But you're not. So first thing, let's put that on the screen. You're not alone. The second one is this. You belong in church. Why? Because we're, this is, we are a hypocritical, imperfect bunch. And so is everyone else. Come join us. Right? You belong here. You belong here. It's not condemning. It's not your fault either. That's the next one. It's not your fault that you're struggling with this many times. Now, can your sin perpetuate it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Did your sin start it? Sure. Sometimes. Sometimes we're just born that way, right? I didn't do anything wrong to get ADHD. I was just blessed. Yeah, man. I love it sometimes. Because I could, like, yes, uh, look, how much time I got? Okay. Yesterday I was in Target with my 15-year-old daughter. And one of the greatest privileges of a parent is to embarrass their children. And so we're standing in line at Target checking out with school supplies, and I started doing the robot. <laughs> Dad! <laughs> I'm like, I got ADHD. <laughs> See how it's a blessing? <laughs> John chapter 9, verse 3, the blind man with Jesus. They blamed his blindness on his sin, but notice what Jesus says here in John chapter 9, verse 3. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. You get that? Fourth thing, there is hope. There is hope. And here's the fifth one. Christ died for that guilt and shame you feel. Christ died for that guilt and shame you feel. And while there's a stigma with all this, there is hope. We need to understand that. While there's a stigma in all this, there is hope. Um, I'm not one to ask for help, but when I was hit with anxiety so hard that, that, that I couldn't move forward even physically, I was crawled up in a fetal position thinking I was going to kill myself. I want to tell you, I'm just being completely transparent with you, okay? And I thought that was extreme weakness. But the sweetness of God came to me through the support of family in a church and the gospel itself. I'm going to tell you something, man. That was sweet. It was hard. Do I want to go through it again? No. And sometimes it's related to like me with your thyroid and things like that. But here's the problem as we deal with this topic of mental illness. Not everyone has that problem and not everyone has that support system. So as a believer, number one, you're called to be in a support system called the church. And so as a believer, if you don't struggle with it, you're called to be the support system as the church. You get that? So here's what I want you to understand. This is how we're going to deal with this. Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17. This is how we're going to respond to this stuff. Notice what happens. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. And as he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, 
and she was a widow, which means she was completely alone in life. Nobody could take care of her. Nobody could protect her. She had nothing now. You follow me on this? And a large crowd uh, from town was with her. When the Lord saw her, get this, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. I love that, don't you? Sometimes the simple words. Then he went up, and he touched the beer that was carrying him and the bearers stood, stood still and he said young man I say to you get up the dead man sat up and began to talk and Jesus gave him back to his mother they were all filled with awe and praised God now there are three things I want you to extract here from Jesus' ministry about how to where to respond as a church you with me on this as a believer now we've dealt with the sub lies we dealt what you can believe but as a believer as the church as our calling moving forward to help people move beyond this stuff and be very open about this, here's what we're supposed to do. You with me on this? Number one, show compassion. Show compassion. Notice what Jesus does here. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. Instead of looking, it's like, man, what an idiot. No, look beyond that. Go beyond that. Show compassion. Something's going on. People do something for a reason. You with me? Show compassion. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. This is the love text in 1 Corinthians. It says, love is patient, love is kind. It does not boast. Uh, it does not envy. It is not proud. And then it goes on to show love is patient, and love is what? Kind. Show compassion. Show acceptance. Show them, show us. Because I'm going to say them, because one in four of us, right? There's a home here. There's a place here, and we love you. We all got issues. As somebody reminded me in the, before the service, this church is jacked up. <laughs> Welcome home. <laughs> Two, engage with them. Now, I want you to see what Jesus does in verse 14. He then went up and touched the beer that was carrying him, and the bear stood still. For a Jewish person to touch a dead person was off limits. Jesus would have been seen as unclean for a week, couldn't be around people, couldn't worship, couldn't do anything. Yet Christ moved beyond what he felt like was socially accepted and said, I'm going to engage them. And guys, the job of the church is to get dirty. And we need to go to that. One of the things we're going to do here at River Hills is launching this fall, we're starting a ministry called Soul Care. In partnership with the American Association of Christian Counselors, we're training up lay counselors here because the wait list to get into a licensed professional therapist is six to eight weeks to get in. That's a huge gap for people that need to get in right away. And so we're training up uh, therapists, not licensed therapists but people who know how to deal with things to be able to be a bridge to those who can help them over long periods of time make sense that's a big deal for us this is huge we're going to be sending out a survey in the weeks to come to say hey what is most needed but if you need help it's here you with me on that if you need to talk we have that available if you know people in this community need to talk we've got you we want to point you to a professional therapist because they're going to help you the most, but until you can get in, we got you. We want to show you the gospel and show you hope. We want to work with you. We want to cry with you. We want to grieve with you. That's what the church is supposed to do, right? 
We also offer something called Celebrate Recovery every Tuesday night. And it is a wonderful support system for those of us who struggle with different types of hurts, hangups, and habits. As we move through that, we have to engage. We have to be willing to point things out. We have to connect people with people that can help. We need to get in that mindset to encourage and to pray for. Last thing is communicate hope. Jesus healed him. We're not going to go up to somebody and put their hands on them, and they're going to be immediately healed. Typically, it can happen, but typically it doesn't. Let's just be real. Because it go back to First, Second uh, Corinthians chapter twelve, my grace is sufficient for you, right? So here's the point in this, and we need to get this: is we want to communicate that no matter how bad it gets here, there's Jesus, and that's forever. So I struggle with how to finish this because here's the deal: many of us sit here and think, "What if it doesn't go away?" Or what if I'm grieving with someone who is really hurting? How do I struggle through that? Because many of us are either grieving with someone, grieving for someone, or grieving because of what we struggle with, right? What do we do? So we're going to go a little long today. But I want you to hear, I want you to listen, and I've never done this. We're going to show a 10-minute video clip. Here's why. Um, You've probably been to Walmart or a store or Amazon or something and saw a book called The Purpose Driven Life by a guy named Rick Warren, one of the most popular books out there, 20, 30 million copies sold. Regardless of your feelings about the book, the man loves Jesus, and him and his wife lost their son to suicide. And the response that they had to that was not only human but biblical. And so we want to roll that video now, and I want you to show you a little bit about what's happening. Let's show this video. Cut the lights. My son, my youngest son, Matthew, struggled with mental illness his entire life. He was born as a, as a child. We could see he was clinically depressed as a child. And I remember when he was 17 years old, he came to me in tears. He loved the Lord. He had a tender heart, a tortured mind. Tender heart, tortured mind. He led people to Christ. He gave my book out to people. He would witness to people on suicide sites. He said, Dad, it just doesn't work for me. I just can't get the depression out. And when at 17, he came to me and he said, Dad, it's real obvious I'm not going to be healed. He said, We've, we, we have gone to the best doctors. I've had the best medicine. Dad, I, I've gone to the best healers men of faith, women of faith. I said, Dad, you're a man of faith. Mom is a woman of faith. You've prayed for me. Intercessors. Uh, I've gone to the best counselors. He said, it's real clear. I'm not going to get well. Why can't I just die and go on to heaven? I know where I'm going. Why can't I just go on? I, I, I just don't want the pain anymore. That'll break your heart as a father, okay, to have your son. And in tears, I'm standing there flooding tears down my face, and I said, Matthew, I, I don't think you want to die. I just think you want to be over the pain. You want relief. And I said, here's my prayer. One, I will never stop praying for a miracle because miracles do happen. As a pastor, I've seen thousands of miracles, physical miracles. I've seen many, many miracles. So I know they happen. But because they're miracles, because they don't always happen, not every time. Uh, and so sometimes it doesn't. And and I said, my prayer is, A, you'll be miraculously cured, okay? And I will never stop praying for that. And I do have a prayer ministry. And number two, though, if not, 
I pray that through your own spiritual growth and maturity, good counselor, good medication, you'll be able to manage. Because Matthew, the truth is on this earth, not everything gets healed. This is hev not heaven, this is earth. In heaven, there's no more sadness, sorrow, sickness, suffering. But he said, there's pain here on earth. And that's why we are to pray in the Lord's Prayer, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because in heaven, God's will is done perfectly, completely, instantly, and continuously. On earth, none of that's true. I often don't do God's will. You often don't do God's will. Other people, and so we hurt people intentionally, unintentionally, and there's, everything is broken on this planet. By sin, uh, the weather's broken, the economy's broken, our bodies are broken, our minds are broken, everything's, we live in a broken planet. And that's why the Bible says in Romans, creation groans for the day of, of salvation. So I said, what do you do when a problem can't be solved? And there, if I have a child who has cerebral palsy, that child's gonna have it the rest of its life, most likely. In those kind of things, you have to manage the problem. And some problems aren't miracles. Some problems are managed for the glory of God. Johnny gave glory to God without a miracle, has done her entire life, Right. okay? And many others have done that too, who've lived with thorns in the flesh. And they gave glory to God either through a miracle or through managing it. Either way, God gets glory. So my prayer is that you'll be able to manage it and then God will give you a ministry of helping other people. Mm. Well, uh, about eight years ago, Matthew'd come over to our house for uh, dinner one night and we had a good time. We watched TV, played a few games. There's no problem, no rift. He lived in his own home. As he was leaving, he said, Dad, I'm just so tired. I'm I'm so tired. And that was the last we heard from him. Wow. So about 24 hours later, we are worried because what we'd feared might happen someday and what we would pray would never happen. We go over to his house. His car's in the driveway. The door's locked. We don't have a key to get into his house. And we're waiting for the police to come break down the door to find this terrible moment in our lives and Kay and I are standing on the driveway hugging each other sobbing just sobbing and Kay reaches down and she's wearing a necklace that has two words that are the words of the title of the book she'd just written choose joy and I look at her and I say how do you choose joy when your heart is breaking in a million pieces how do you choose joy the police came, broke the door down, found the, the inevitable bad news. They're carrying my sons out in a body bag. And I, if I hadn't had a small group, I, I don't know that I'd still be in ministry right now, but that, that group that I'd been in for so many years, those couples showed up within 30 minutes, 15, 20 minutes on that driveway and they didn't say anything they just hugged us okay they just hugged us and, and they said we're not going to leave you alone tonight the guys hugged the, me and the women hugged Kay they said we're coming to your house you don't have to say anything we're, we're just going to be with you now this is an important thing I want to say to those of you who are watching I teach this to pastors all around the world 
the deeper the pain, the fewer words you use. This is an important thing to remember. The deeper the pain, the fewer words you use. If somebody's having a bad hair day, you can have a 30 minute you know, conversation, yeah. Yeah. okay? But if somebody's just lost a son to suicide, you show up and shut up. There's nothing you can say. It's the ministry of presence. People say, I don't know what to say. Don't say anything. Just show up and shut up. That is the ministry of presence. Now, let me go back to when I said how God uses in every purpose. Out of that pain came, the, for the next 16 weeks, I spent it alone with God. I was either with Kay or with God. I didn't do any preaching, no staff meeting, n nothing for 16 weeks. I had all my buddies, okay, uh, Judah Smith and uh, Judd Wilhite and uh, all, I had 60, Greg Laurie, all came in and preached for me for 16 weeks, okay? And I was either with Cod or with Kay and just listening. I received during that time, I'm not exaggerating, maybe 30, 35,000 letters of condolences. And the ones that meant the most to me, honestly, Matt, were not the ones from rock stars and presidents and prime ministers. They, they wrote me, many, many people that I didn't know wrote me and gave great condolences. The ones that meant the most to me were people that Matthew had led to Christ. Oh my goodness. And they said, I know that Matthew struggled with mental illness his entire life, but he led me to faith. And I'm gonna be in heaven because of him. And he was talking to me on a suicide site and he talked me out of it. And I'm gonna be in heaven because, of and I remember writing in my journal that day, in God's garden of grace, even broken trees bear fruit. My goodness. And then I wrote, and we're all broken. Okay, we're, we're all broken, okay. So if you think that reading Purpose Driven Life is gonna give you a perfect life, don't even bother. It will give you a life of purpose and it will help you understand how God uses all these things. And the fifth thing was God uses pain to be a witness. I, I actually think that our greatest witness to the world is how we handle pain. Not how we handle good times. There's a guy I've been witnessing to on my block for 20 years, and he was not interested in anything. He just shut down, closed. But when Matthew died, I remember driving by one day, and he's out watering his lawn, and he looks up at me, and he goes, and I'm going, that got to him. That got to him. And all of a sudden, it was real. And he was watching how I was handling the worst circumstances of my life. And so, as I say, your greatest ministry will come out of your deepest pain. I say that from experience. There's not a week go by that somebody famous calls me with either a mental illness issue or a suicide issue. And I'm talking about from the highest of the highest people, personalities in politics and in celebrity. And Kay and I did not ask for this ministry of ministering to families with mental illness and ministering to families struggling with suicide of a family member. I didn't want that ministry, but it's one that God gave us and I'm not gonna waste the pain. So I would say to everybody, whatever your pain is, 
Have you been molested? My wife was molested as a little girl in a church. She has used that pain to help others, okay? Uh, cancer. I, I, don't, you're going to go through pain in life. Just don't waste it. If you're going to go through pain, you might as well use it to help somebody else out. So, that's a good one. Here's how we're going in this. We want to make sure we don't waste our pain, guys. And your one step of application is use your pain for ministry. The flip side is take your pain and give it to Jesus daily, minute by minute. It, it, it's this, this nonsense of saying I've left it, it's never coming back. That's not true. Wave upon wave, guys, happens. We want to give it to Christ and look forward. So we're going to finish this way. I know some of you are struggling. I know some of you have been anxious, depressed, struggled with all kinds of things. Here's how we're going to finish this series this morning. We want to abandon the lies and look to Jesus. And so the band's going to come back up. They're going to play. We're going to sing a worship song. But I want to offer and extend this invitation to you that if you need Jesus this morning or you need somebody to pray with you about whatever you're struggling with, I want to be that safe person for you this morning. And so I'll be standing off to my right. We'll pray. If you want to come up to this altar and pray, you can do that. But begin to work through the process. And, and the last thing I want to say, whether you're, if you're online or if you're here and you need to talk to somebody, I want to see if Lisa can do this. If you can put uh, our number on the screen for prayer, prayer for me, if we can put that text number on there. And if you need help this morning to work through some things, please put that in the prayer request line and we'll follow up with you. Know that we're going to follow up with you to help begin to work through that process. Celebrate recovery if you need that. Work meets every, every week on Tuesday night at 6 o'clock here. And we'd love to have you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, God, you are good. God, you didn't promise that pain wouldn't be here, but Lord, you did promise that you would use it. So use it, I pray. And for those who are struggling this morning, those who need you this morning, I pray, God, that you begin to work. We would not have shame because of what we deal with, God, but we would have joy knowing that you are going to conquer this and you already have for eternity. And so, Christ, I pray, Father, that we begin to be, take those steps and that you'd use them in powerful ways. Lord, we need you. The pain makes, reminds us that we're alive and that we need you. So work now, I pray, in Jesus' name.